reasons. But I never brought her on for her boobs to mask my moves. That was not part of the deal here. I'm very you know, proud of my moves. I really hate to do comparisons, but you're a little I, bit you more. Know, I've, I've worked. You, you got a little bit more in the moobage department side. than she's got in the boobage mm-hmm. department. Yeah. You think my moves are bigger than her boobs? Yeah. We're so going to get canceled for this conversation. <laughs> Wait a second. No, I take. I take. <laughs> God, you should take umbrage. Mine are better. You should take umbrage. Oh no, no, no! Hang on. I didn't say his were better. I said his were bigger. Size is not everything. Still take umbrage with that statement. I, I, I think uh-huh. you've offended sweater cows everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's a great comment where you can say something and offend two different people for two separate reasons. <laughs> Win! And I think Chad is just now catching up and going... And Antoine's like, wait, what? <laughs> we hadn't even got to the butt stuff yet. I know, right? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> We're a minute, six seconds into the show. We've already completely lost it. Okay, all right. So You're this is we had this is, in the first place. This is your fault because you knew exactly what you were getting into when you started this. Now, wait a second. You started this shit 30 seconds before the show started, so I was just following on to that. Mm-hmm. And you had us wait while you hit the go live button so you could make God your comments. Right, I so that was gold for the people. It's who all me. you, baby. I knew there was only going to be like two or three listeners at that point, so you know it's it's fine. <laughs> you all lost plot. <laughs> who needs plot? This is content characters, baby. I was just a little surprised for those people that showed up early, you know? It'll be on the recording. That's, that's you know, reason to... to it in. was either that or my Georgian accent, so... Oh, yeah. God, can we please not go there? It is nowhere oh, near why? accurate. It's just so tantalizing. Oh, let's offend everyone. Oh, else. I do declare. <laughs> Howdy! Welcome to another episode of the Dead Robot Society. I'm Paul E. Cooley. Joining me in this insanity is Veronica Jaguar and Terry Mixon. Howdy, Broken for Grant. Veronica for Grant. What? <laughs> what was that? Could you try that uh, in English? I just, I, yeah, excuse my, whatever that was I was trying to say. Hi. How you doing? What's up? Tell me about your day. How are things since we talked last week? Oh, let's see. Um, I delivered a book to the, uh, oh, two, actually. I delivered two books, one to my, one to a publisher and one to um, the engineer that I use, both paranormal women's fiction. So magical cats, magical bakeries, a lot of screaming. Um. But it's, there's a lot of vindictiveness that goes on when you've got women of a certain age um, fighting. So, what? It's fun. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just laughing about the women of a certain age. <laughs> you know, I mean. It's such a diplomatic way of saying something. Well, I think I, middle age, the... the the needle keeps moving, so what one person thinks is middle age doesn't really hit middle age for somebody else. So, you know, they're not like young ingenues. They're not like 20-somethings who don't know how the world works. And then, oh, my goodness, look at him. It's like, 
Um, I'm exhausted. I'm going to take a bath. I'm going to go to bed early and we're going to fix this in the morning. That's the caliber of heroin I've got in these books. And I am all over it. Um, let's see. Books. Still writing. I still have to get my handwritten pages done tonight. So I hit my deadline and I am slogging through just terrible, terrible writing. But I can't edit a blank page, but it's awful. Um, <laughs> oh, you no, too are is. writing Drek. Hmm? I said, you too are writing direct. Oh, oh yes. I'm I'm writing like painful, awkward relationship direct. And I'm like, I'll fix it later. I will, I will come <laughs> up with something better later. Um, yeah. And doing a bunch of like end of the year account reconciliations, updating all my royalties for the year. Cause I have not been keeping up with it. And let me tell you going through um, 10 sets of spreadsheets when you've got 70 some titles is just ouch. I'm going to write, you know, I'm going to write something that's going to do it for me rather than having to go and type them in all the time. But all the time, yeah, all the time. But yeah, so that that's been. That's been my week and then like all of the holiday prep that comes with having teenagers in the house. <laughs> Yay. There's a shot. See, Terry's got a nice, calm, snuggly cat. I don't His know if I go snuggly. Okay, cat is trying to suffocate him. That cat is completely trying to suffocate him when you know this. By the way, Antoine, thank you for coming back. We appreciate it. <laughs> so, Terry, what about you besides trying to keep that from killing you? I'm still struggling with a deadline. I have to turn in a book next Saturday. How many words are left? Hmm... Let's see. My spreadsheet tells me that I have forty-four thousand words to go. Oh boy! Ooh, that's um eleven that's chapters. Eleven mm -hmm. chapters that I have to write, and I still have to read sixteen of them that I haven't yet read. I haven't yet written most of them. So, yeah, about that. And I've got you seven days that, to make that happen. Time Machine on Amazon yet? Nope. I still can make it happen. I'm fighting off uh, the crud that my wife brought home. So, oh, lovely. You know, if, if rains, it pours. So I still think that I'm going to make it. It's going to be a lot of hours put in, but I will make it. And if I don't make it, if it slides a couple of days... It's not going to be a big deal because that's Christmas Eve and Christmas, and I'm sure the editor is not going to look at it in the first place. Oh, yeah. We talked about that last, mm -hmm. last week. But I'm still planning on making it. We'll see oh, whether that good. actually ends up. <laughs> it means that most of those days that I'm going to be writing, I'll have to write three chapters a day until it's done. And then, like, read six chapters two days in a row and then the remaining four on the last day. That's a lot of slacking you got going on there. 
Yeah, there's not much slack this next week. It's and a lot we've of got slack. somebody coming out to, to do some, some pipe wrapping to make sure that we don't have the freezing we've had the last couple of years. Mm. Uh, Probably a good you idea. You don't want any more splody pipes? Well, hopefully the splody pipes have been taken care of, but the PEX freezes solid because it's not insulated in this one area. So we're having someone come out and uh, take care of that right there in that area. So hopefully it'll make that a little bit better. My wife's got to still do taxes. She's not happy about that because she hasn't been keeping up as as she goes along. So she's got like four months worth of, of data entry and stuff to do still. I recommend several cups of coffee and a bag of whatever preferred chocolate will get her through it because, mm-hmm. damn. That's what she's going to get. Um, we tried to do it so that she would do things on a monthly basis, but she fell off the wagon a few months back. So she's got to play catch up now. I sympathize. And other than that, I still need to find time to at least read through the last Empire book so I can send it off to an editor. That'll start as soon as this week is over with. I'll I'll read a chapter or two a week and get it done over the next month and a half, two months, and send it off. Yeah, that would be a good plan. I'm sorry. I'm currently being assaulted by leaf blowers. I'm hoping that they will be gone soon. That was the evil plan to have the leaf blowers come by and, and assault you. I know mm-hmm. one of you bastards paid the fuckers to show up. You know, it's like ah, three o'clock. You know, God, they they were here early, by the way. So there you go. Oh look, J.R. Handley's here, and what's he talking about? Of course. <laughs> no, 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 no. We are not going to let him get us back on that track. Well, you've been dealing with disaster after disaster again. I don't know. If this is a disaster. I definitely let this this particular book get away from me and ran out of time. Lessons to be learned for the future books. But then again, I'm quite sure that all of us have had our schedules on occasion get completely out of whack and and end up with no time left and have to work like dogs to make it happen. Oh, goodness. No, I've never encountered that. Not, Not with all of the younger people in my house. No. No. I've never encountered that as a software developer. That's never happened. Mm-hmm. Never, so, ever happened. I don't feel bad. It is what it is. Most of my books are done on time and without this kind of pressure. If this comes around every once in a while, I can live with that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been jumping between uh, Extinction and Track 9. Uh, so Extinction is technically finished. I'm not happy. I have to do a lot of work on the ending uh, to make it go where it needs to go. Um, But I got down what I needed to get down. I'll go back and flesh it out. Track nine, I basically started. I meant to write like basically a prologue. (laughs) 50,000 words later. Uh, It's not that many, but it's about 15. It's about 15. But it takes us up to the up to a point where it's necessary, and I can fold them in as flashbacks or dream sequences or just break-ins by the narrator to explain something when we need to get there. You know how relationships started right before things went to hell, so that we're not a as you know, Bob, later on kind of thing, which I loathe. So I'll I'll get there, and basically, if if uh, 
if it doesn't make sense or if it's just words that don't need to be there, the bottom line is it solidified the timeline for me. It solidified a whole bunch of stuff about these characters I didn't realize, and it gave them a lot more depth in my brain. So if nothing else, it's nothing wasted. But I think I think it's good enough to keep, actually. We'll see how it works. But I'm, I'm going in, cleaning up what's going now and tying it all together um, and doing that. Between that, jumping back to extinction and there's a piece i need to fix in there before i roll it out to my patrons and i need to do that soon because that's kind of slotted for december 22nd to start rolling out for the first uh first 15,000 words of it so stuff to do stuff to do always stuff to do but beside all of that i have a question we talked about this in the after show. We had talked about this in the after show last week. And I can't remember how we even got on the topic. Like I was looking at that episode this morning, and I can't remember exactly what sparked the topic. It had something to do with blood clots. had something to do with this, that, and the other. We started babbling about it. So V suggested we broaden the topic a bit. So in addition to nanorobotics, there's some problems that we've got with uh, them possibly solving issues of you know, biology-based damage by cosmic rays, radiation, et cetera, um, using bio-nannies to basically go in and, and prevent cancers or get rid of them at the start. Then we started talking about all the stuff that you really also need to get through space to get to your settlements. How are you going to live in your settlements? What are all the things that we haven't really talked about? And what are the technological possible technological fixes for them. So we already talked about the biological nanites and which is I think much more doable, especially from the article I'm going to post in the live channel on Discord. Uh, it seems like that is probably in the next twenty to thirty years, I would guess. As far as them getting you know, basically a biological piece of you, like from your lung tissue and creating some kind of um, uh, robot that can go in and sabotage other proteins that are causing issues or go in and actually heal parts of your damaged neural network in your brain. The idea is basically that if they make that as DNA from you, then uh, your body won't reject it, which is another thing we talked about last week. So I thought this was pretty fascinating um, ideas. That's where my brain immediately went, was bionage for that issue. What are other thing, other ways you think of that we could possibly mitigate, you know, damage from cosmic rays and radiation? Frozen water. Frozen water. Okay. How does that work? Well, if you take what you're going to use as fuel, make it water, take it up to orbit, freeze it around the exterior of your spacecraft, it will stop the majority of the radiation that's going to harm you on travel. Okay. Now, how feasible is that putting together on your ship? Have you written about this using this? I have not. You have not? I've read have something. Read books? I've, read an, I've read an article that talked about using something like that. I haven't read a story that talked about using something like that. Um... They were the article that I read was talking about the water deposits on the moon at the poles 
extracting ice from there and getting it up to where it could be placed as a cocoon around a Mars mission or I think it was more like a mission to uh, the Jovian satellites or something like that, something further away. And they mentioned that it was it was had the potential to go ahead and solve a lot of problems and take something that human beings needed to have with them along with them. Solved a couple of problems. So yeah. basically you're just grabbing an ice giant or a portion of an ice, a big piece of Pluto or something like Pluto, dragging it around to basically use as a water source or I'd use it. I think you're using a lot more water than I'm talking about. I'm talking yeah, in the range of. I'm talking. I think I'm talking something like a meter thick, maybe maybe two meters thick, not something huge. Hmm. Uh, so we're talking something that's actual that we could do with our own technology today. Now, wouldn't it have to be 360 around you? It would need to be all the way around you. Yes, but you've got double. But. You've got double hull technology already. I mean, that's that's a standard right now with a lot of with you know your submarines and whatnot. So because you've got there, there's always going to be a space, and if that space can be filled with water or ice, you know what whatever whatever H two O that you need in there, but liquid or ice, um, to act as a barrier. It's just the the challenge that you have is well I guess that with the hand wavy stuff you'd have to assemble it um, in space because water weighs a lot and to try and get all that trying to build that and then launch it is ridiculous. No you would not be able you would not build any of this nonsense on earth and let's face it And in, in, in just looking at it from a realistic standpoint, I have a hard time believing that we're going to build any anything that's going to go interstellar is going to be built on Earth. Right. But, I just don't see that happening. But, yeah, but and then you know, with like Terry said, if you if you're using a resource for a shield that it can be used in other spots, if you're going to repurpose that water. So either use it, depending upon the size and purpose of your ship, are you going to recycle that water and use it for your human population? Are you Mm -hmm. going to recycle it and use it for um, hydroponics, agriculture? If you're talking about a a long-term generation ship, you know, can you do that? If it's, you know, acting as a barrier for radiation? Did you find the article you were looking for, Terry? I'm looking at a PDF that NASA put out to see if it's got anything in it where it's talking about radiation countermeasures for astronauts. So, What I'm curious about is I don't think any of this stuff has been tested in space. Not in space, no. I mean, I know, I know there have, there's been some work done on just using water as a shield against radiation. I know... I mean, my kid did, uh, was it last year? No, two years ago. Two years ago? I think two years ago for his um, science research class where they've got to do like a year-long study, he'd been doing a bunch of stuff dealing with long-term space travel and Mars and agriculture. And he wound up looking at, you know, if you had water as a shield, 
how that was going to, you know, what was it going to do? And he essentially had seeds underneath a thing of water irradiated stuff and compared the growth of those seeds to seeds that weren't irradiated. And it didn't go too poorly. (laughs) There's lots of user error. We've, we've determined that trying to grow plants for the engineer brain is really not. William says, uh, what are the radiation sources when traveling interstellar and how much of an issue is this? Well, you've got um, cosmic radiation that is out there. You've got gamma rays, and you've also got the radiation that's going to be generated with impacts with uh, dust and micro debris as you're traveling. It's one of the reasons why you want to have necessarily ice or something else. You put it in the front of the spacecraft to act both as a physical shield and as a radiation shield for those impacts that generate radiation. And the sources are from everywhere. Pretty much. That's why you have to have a 360. The the estimates I saw, and I, I hate to throw this out there because I, I don't have them in front of me, is that the, basically the, the idea is... is uh, that the cancer rate would go up to 25% to 40%. And that was over a very short duration, relatively speaking, to how long it takes us to get anywhere in space. You know, if you were talking about a two-year journey, I think most of the people by the time they got there would have cancer of some sort, unless this was mitigated or just Is it better... Well, here's a thought. Is it better to mitigate that by shielding the vessel or by making sure that everyone has a healthy dose of nanites to go and, you know, clean up the the, the stuff that would make you grow an extra nose? I mean, I would say you do both (laughs) just because what if you can only do one, though? Which makes the most sense, which is I mean, it's like, you know, which is the most cost effective? Which is fixable, which is replicable. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It, it's all, it, this, these are just things that I would love to, uh, these are things I would love to see them actually ex- be experimenting with on the moon, for instance, although the moon is not far enough away because it's still in our magnetosphere, if I understand things correctly. Um, so it's protective. That is, that is not sets. correct. It, okay. Our magnetic field is, is a little closer than the moon. I thought they were on the outer edges of it. But they, they, they may be involved with it, but it's not, it's not enough to make a difference. The uh, moon is a radioactive hellscape. Okay, fine. It's still a radioactive hellscape. So until we actually have people there that are going to be, I hate to say this, guinea pigs, unless we're going to actually do some biological studies with plants and things like that. We're not going to know how to how, how uh, effective our plans are to get this stuff done and whether or not it's going to work. There are a bunch of billionaires who are just waiting to you know to build things and get up in space first. I'm sure there's a contract or two they could sign, right? Right? Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. You go first. That's my response. You go first. <laughs> you be the early adopter. Go right ahead. Yeah, here, I've been an early adopter before. And let me know how. Let me know what. Oh, it's just a Geiger counter. That's it. Just right there. Right there on your test. It'll transmit. It'll all be fine. I promise. It'll all be fine. No, no. The whites of your eyes are glowing. I'm sure it's nothing. Come on. Healthy dose of nanites in the same sentence. Rick, why? Why wouldn't there be? 
This uh, one comment that I I posted a link into the live channel for some of the discussions that I've seen on this. But another comment that I'm seeing says that ice can shield radiation. About 10 inches of ice will reduce neutron radiation to one-tenth its initial dose, but that it's not as good for cosmic rays. For something like that, you would need a couple of inches of lead on the interior of that to uh, stop that from happening. Wow. Wow. So we need an ice-lead sandwich? Well, you could have the lead built into the spacecraft itself and the ice in between the outer and the inner hull. Mm-hmm. Because you don't have to protect the entirety of the ship from the radiation, just the crew hab area. True. So long as they're in suits the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> it's all fine. <laughs> William says, just up butter consciousness into tardigrades and be done with it. Space bears for the win. <laughs> I love tardigrades. <laughs> As whipple shielding. And Nathan says, send JR as a test. He can be the test subject. Sorry, man. We need somebody biologically human. I mean, I'm not really sure JR is in that same phylum. I'm not sure that we would be able to tell if he's having any degradation of intelligence due to radiation poisoning or not. Damn. Damn. Yeah, nice shield for that burn there. Damn. (laughs) And we need somebody stable. (laughs) Jeez. Uh, An interesting idea of crowd of just upgrading tardigrades. That is such a fascinating idea. I I can't believe I didn't think of that. Of what? Of using tardigrades basically as a human analog. Or as your avatar. You basically control a tardigrade. So you would have like the universe's one. smallest spaceship ever. <laughs> I have a feeling that a tardigrade could be made a lot bigger if the proper things were applied. Because its genetic, its genetic code is is uh, probably a mess, but I bet it's not that bad. I'm sorry, I'm having images of like peeps in vacuum bell things, but they're tardigrades, just slowly any, going bigger and bigger. Any, any time the tardigrade has to do something, there needs to be a recording that plays a Wookie in the background. <laughs> <laughs> what sound would a tardigrade make? Oh God, I don't even want to think about it. It's just it, oh, some kind of screeching sound. I'd imagine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> magnetic shielding. Is magnetic shielding? Well, that would be lead, wouldn't it? No, magnetic shielding is having uh, an electromagnet that puts its own magnetic field around the spacecraft, and that's so also another angle that can be done. I'm guessing. Could you say that again? That blocks cosmic rays? If strong enough, yes. Mm, that'd be a hell of an energy energy suck. Better have your your nuclear pile there ready to go ahead. And don't you think you need to do a little bit of, you know, uh, experimentation to see how human biological matter might react to long-term exposure to powerful magnetic fields? That's another thing, yeah. If you really want yeah, to be sitting that, in an MRI... Tardigrade is colony hive organisms inhabiting an exosuit. 
excuse me. I don't think tardigrades have vocal cords, but I don't know for instance for 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 certain about that. For certain about that. <laughs> William says a million tardigrades in a trench coat. <laughs> that's what I was envisioning. There's, there's your, that's your title of a short story right there. <laughs> I'm just like that's I mean, no offense, that sounds like something that you would write, Paul. Like, you know, someone would just be shuffling along and they encounter, you know, the the darkened helmet of the suit and it's just like going through and they're like, what is this? And they poke it and then just billions of these of this ash just starts coming out and flowing all over and it's tardigrades just billions and billions of tardigrades and then they go through but no they're like um they're carnivorous tardigrades and then they you know come over and they go and attack the person and yeah and a trench coat or just tardigrades in trench coats You know, if I look into, if I use a microscope and I go look at some moss water and I see a tardigrade <laughs> wearing a trench coat, I'm out. I'm, I'm done. I'm never going near that source of water ever again. <laughs> That's going to be the worst episode of Columbo ever. I just got this one other question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. If they're smoking cigars, it's all over. It's it's just, that's end game right there. That's end game. I love tardigrades. They're so fascinating. They're such a weird animal. They're just awesome. That's why I had to put them in Station 3, because they're just so much fun. Well, we've got other parts of our title that we should get to discussing. Ah, stasis. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Stasis, or did you want to talk about printing my meat? Whatever, you know, floats your boat. Actually, well, stasis uh, for meat preservation is pretty much what we're talking about. It's a comma in there, man. Yeah. There's a comma. Stasis, comma, and printing meat. And Mm -hmm. printing meat. Yes. Yeah, well. So what I looked at, stasis experiments have been going on for a long, long time, either as torture or actual scientific experiments. Um, As far as trying to get humans down to hypothermia, uh, they had some article that somebody was dead for or in a hypothermic state for over six hours mm-hmm. and being resurrected, so to speak, with minimal brain damage, minimal tissue damage and the like, which is interesting. So the question is, what can be done to to make all of that work? You know, what 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 other things? How would that solve issues? Why would we need that? Resource control, resource management. Especially if you're talking about generation ships, it's cutting down on the number of people that need to run things. And then you can just, essentially, you're you're shipping your workforce, for lack of a better word. You have transporters, and then you're just, you have people who actually arrive there and work. You know, you don't necessarily have to feed them the same stuff that you're feeding your, your, your ship crew. (laughs) Um, but but yeah like terry said it's how much food how much water how much do i have to carry in order to get to where i'm going yeah and then there's the question of what kind of is it a is it just a, a stasis but are you actually aging are you slowing down the process um and then another thing is if you can keep someone in a hypothermic state, 
um, what kind of additional protection can that provide for, say, cosmic radiation? I mean, if you've got your 10,000 pod people that are, you know, stuck in a cryo chamber, but they're surrounded by a couple layers <laughs> of fluid and they're being, you know, fed whatever nutrients they need, how much more shielding or how much less shielding do you have to do in that area versus where your crew is walking around and running things? I'm okay as long as I stay inside the meat locker. As long as I stay inside the meat locker, I'm okay. Got it. There is a book called Project Hail Mary. Maybe you've heard of it. I believe it has been mentioned. It's the same guy that wrote... um, I want to say it's the Bobiverse stuff, but I might—I think I might be wrong there. Let's see. Project. Andy Weir. Hale. Okay, it's the guy that wrote uh, The Martian. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, he had a mission that had to be sent to another solar system. And it was basically for the stakes of human life. They They had to get there. They had to accomplish certain things. Or humanity was going to die. And one of the ways. The the way that they could find. To get the people there. They came up with a way to propel the ships. Really fast. But it still was a journey of. 12 years to get there. So they took three people. That had. um, The appropriate gene. To be put into. Kind of a coma state. An extended coma state. And. Basically, the computers made sure that their bodies were were moved and medically treated and fed. And they were kept asleep the entire journey there. And two of them still died on the route. Only one of them arrived alive. Yeah, and how, how messed up was that person? Uh, he was pretty messed up. Yeah. I mean, and, that's uh, the other... That, I, it, I think that's, that's just using... He was using things what we would... He was exploring aspects of what we could do with modern technology right. with just a little bit of extrapolation. And that was what he came up with to get a 12-year trip done. And it was a one-way mission. That person was not coming back. They did not have enough food for him to come back. He had more food than he expected because his two compatriots died, one of them very early in the trip. And so he had a little bit more wiggle room. But if they'd all have arrived, there would have been months at most of food left. That was it. Yikes. Hmm. It was planned that way? It was planned that way. The hero did not realize it was planned that way. Oh, no. He was shanghaied. Oh, spoiler alert. He was shanghaied. Hmm. The, people that to... vol- the people that actually volunteered for it knew that it was a one-way mission. Before he had his memory screwed with, he knew it was a one-way mission. They put drugs in his system when they woke him up, so he didn't remember the circumstances of how he got there, and he recovered his memory of the events on Earth as he was there trying to do the work. Lovely. So, yeah, it was lovely. And there were aliens, so that's always a good one, too. And it touched on your printing meat thing in the, in the background. Mm. Because um, he had potentially barely enough food to go back into sleep 
and make it back to Earth. But yeah. if he did so, the alien race that had came there looking for the same solution would be exterminated. So he made the decision to go back to their planet, basically committing his life to dying for this, to save theirs. They did what they could to keep him alive when he arrived in gratitude, and they finally found a way to clone meat so that he could have a source of nutrition. The only source of meat they had? Him. And it goes back to Nightflyer. So he was saying, and the thing here, he's like, yep, I'm having a me burger. Which brings up the problem with printing meat, which is you have to have biomass. You have to have all the proteins, you have to have all the stuff, all the chemicals, all that on hand to actually print meat. And the company that was doing that, actually, one of them went out of business, um, even though they got to the point where they could print Wagyu beef, beef because of how bloody expensive it was to make. So, from what I've read, as much as we would love to be able to print meat, I think meat is not going to be something you're going to have once you go into space. Not unless we somehow find a way to cultivate uh animals up there that aren't single cell simple organisms like algae like lichen like mosses and things like that and i'm seeing bugs in in uh in chat cockroaches bees etc animals like that unless we have that i don't you're not going to have the other mm, and i don't think crunchy. you're going to have the other because what a resource suck it is how much go look well, at how much biomass it takes to feed a cow per day so but if you're looking at a source of protein, does that have to be animal-based? No, but you still have to synthesize the chemicals somehow. Okay. And you have a finite supply. If you if you could raise an animal like a cockroach or something like that that has protein in it, that's much more manageable because their life-birth-death cycle is accelerated. So you could use something like that. But I think that there are, what they would need to do is, this will piss off the GMO people. We need to make a lichen that's high in protein. Make a lichen that grows high in protein. That would be fascinating to do something like that. So I think that that's going to be, that would be something that, um, that's another thing that has got to be solved. I love the idea of printing a steak, though. We all, I mean, we got all that shit from Star Trek. That's where I originally saw it was the replicator, right? Mm-hmm. So the, but what did the replicator use? I mean, there's, there's the question. Hand wavium. Made shit out of light. Hand wavium. I mean, just, did, it, did it just shave off a bit with the transporters every single time <laughs> and put that, into a, put that into a tank? So everyone's well, going back. Well, no one like, actually missed Ensign Galatovich. <laughs> That's what happens to the red shirts. That's what really happens. They don't, after they get shot, they were processed. They were recycled. They never say what they do with the bodies. You only see the officers get shot out of the fucking thing. You don't know what happens to the little red shirts running around on the below decks. You know, the, the whole, you know, what really is in the buffer? Hmm. <laughs> That's what's in the buffer. Why is deck 12 kept at a constant, you know, just above freezing? No reason. And why are we not allowed to go there? No reason. 
Spoiler green is red shirts. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I'm talking about. So where are you going to get the biomass? I mean, that's that's you have to grow it, right? Right, you have to you have to grow it, and there's if you're looking for a full cycle, it's how you know if you've got your your water as a shield and you're circulating that, can you circulate that and grow stuff? You know, hydroponics. Do you yep. do some kind of aquaponics where you've got you know fish, shrimp, some something else there that will feed off of you know feed off the plants and create a smaller system and then cycle through and then you're also creating fertilizer for your plants i love this idea having a goddamn ocean as your as your shield i love this idea of it being like 40 Mm -hmm. meters 50 meters deep surrounding the ship and mm-hmm. all this wildlife in it that you harvest. I love this idea. Or you've got, or you've got two. You've got two layers. You've got, you know, an upper shield, and then the water's circulating. But then you've got the, you've got tanks, you know, clear tanks, and you've got your your food. You know, you've got tilapia someplace, and you've got your shrimp other places. <laughs> um, and it's see the as. As silly as it might sound, <laughs> if you can find find a you know, find a video that's like a a a walkthrough for lack of a better, a tour of the um Epcot uh what is it? It's living with the land. That's what it's called. It's called Living with the Land. And no, it's not I hate small. God, I hate small world. Um, but it's called Living with the Land, and it's a whole. It, it takes you through all of these, you know, areas of where you're. <laughs> For those who are listening and not watching, um, <laughs> Julius is going on his own magical Disney ride of Dad, put me down, please. So. <laughs> oh, no, and yet he comes back. back for more because. He's probably orange on the inside. Very one of these um, days, you're just going to flip right over that chair. <laughs> you're just going to go flip flopping, and there's just going to be a cat going, Woo! Yes. Oh, so uh-huh. handsome. But truly, if you can find a video of the Living with the Land ride, it goes, it, it's, a, it's a boat, boat ride, but it, you go through all these different ideas for growing different types of plants so all of these different irrigation things hydroponics aquaponics um but it's really it it can get your brain going so that and if you're ever at epcot it's like a 20 minute ride in the air conditioning so i highly recommend it (laughs) sorry you say epcot and etc and i just remember this family guy episode where i think it's I can't remember which fucking up who the CEO of of Disney was at the time. He was telling Bill Gates, "Yeah, come over. We're gonna." What does he, what does he say? Damn it! I had it on my tongue now. Ethnically cleanse the small world, right? Which doesn't make sense because small world is in it's in Magic Kingdom, right? But I just remember anyway. the, the joke. That's I all I know. 
That's okay. We we always used to joke that we couldn't get to Canada, so we'd just go over to Epcot and say hi to Martin Short. Which, again, 30-minute experience in almost complete darkness and wonderful air conditioning. So... (laughs) Brian and Krill Sorry, in the water field. Yeah. Then Rick just I'm, yep. Rick posted in the Discord what yeah. the Living with the Land ride. And it's it it can get you to start thinking about, ooh, that's a really cool idea. Oh, I didn't think about that. Um but it's it's fun. And something similar, uh, Eshkare was was something like that, where we went through the whole nature preserve that explained all this other kind of stuff. We were riding around in a, you know, an all-wheel, an ATV that had been, you know, governor down to five miles an hour or whatever, just enough torque to get you over the hills and go through the mud and whatnot. And did the same kind of thing, but it was cool because you got to see exactly what all the wildlife was. And they went through, you know, from the from the base all the way up through the food chain. And you can see all the pe- missing pieces of the pieces that are going missing, which was kind of sobering. But uh, I love I love that idea. Hey, Tim. What I've heard through rearranging my office sounds interesting. <laughs> I think it was interesting, but I was doing other things. I just don't see printing meat happening, man. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I mean, maybe not necessarily in a in a like a traveling aspect. But if you've got if you've got a case of where you have a a world and you have, you know, space stations or outposts that can get a regular supply of, you know, base protein or, you know, your building blocks, then from there, yeah, you could print whatever you wanted. It might all taste like, you know, garbanzo beans and tofu, but it would get printed, (laughs) you know, only, you know, so much, you know, Creole seasoning in A1 sauce, you, you could fake it. But that's that's my point, though. It's not going to be steak. You're no. not going to be printing steak. You're not going to no. be printing uh, burgers in but traditional what, sense. And then you're going to get like the the have and have not, and what's going to be considered. And that's a funny thing. At when it's like novel, it'll be considered the in thing, and be like, oh, it's going to be you know super expensive or super elite. And then once it finally switches, and it becomes you know the plebeian food and steak real steak from real cows not 3d printed cows then you know. 3D printed cows. <laughs> well why not it's 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 the beefinator 3000 rick says put the cattle in stasis for the final destination you see that's that when you're talking about an arc ship you got to bring what we eat with us but at the same time, you want to bring, okay, genetic material, this, that, and the other. That also means that once you get to where you're going, there better be an ample supply. Otherwise, they will eat your, you out of house and home 
while you're trying to raise them so you can eat them or raise them or whatever it is you're doing. And the other thing I was thinking about this as we were talking, whatever you're bringing, you have to protect the genetic code. So either you're going to have to, you're going to have to infuse them with your bio nanites to, you know, clean out the irradiated parts and how, or are you going to bring in additional, um, additional genetic material to like, you know, artificially impregnate whatever you have so that it starts that. So whatever, like, um, whatever livestock starts fresh so that it's genetic, so that the genetic code of your food stock is less likely to be contaminated on the way there. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Because when you, when you're thinking about like, um, stuff reproducing, you've got to worry two generations back because the, yeah, two generations back is generally how far you've got to consider where anything detrimental can happen. Which makes it an interesting little question is, uh, (laughs) you know, how many do you print or how many do you have running around for that, for that case? How many do you keep alive from previous generation to generation to generation? Are you manually or somehow automatically rejecting or accepting pairs that will make sense or that don't have genetic mutations? You know, what do you do? Where are you stockpiling and only releasing so many additional into the the population after, you know, a year or two? Are you reserving some and you reintroduce the the alpha strain, you know, every strain. five years? Well, I, don't... I, knew, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah. I, I didn't take are, any biology classes. I think you guys are missing out on an angle that, that could work out for us here on this, oh, on no. this long distance journey. Oh, no. Okay. What is it? You should oh, go ahead and have this this long journey that you're going on with, with the crew. You only have a small crew that's awake for the entire journey. And they're transporting, you know, tens of thousands of colonists to this new world. And by the end of the story, you find out that there is no colony world. They're going there to set up a mining thing. And basically they've been like... Once a week, waking up somebody to be an extra crewman, let him work for a while, and then go ahead and eat him. <laughs> Until they get they, they, in a jam. And then they, they have this, to actually thaw out an engineer or whatever, and they can't eat him. This brings has, a whole new meeting to the restaurant at the end of the world. I mean, right? This means that basically at some point that engineer is going to go, uh, why are there why are there eighteen missing colonists? What happened to them? Uh, uh, I want you to let me look at the computer records. What am I coming across here? Oh my god, it's a ship full of cannibals. I'm the only one to fight them. Oh my god! So what you're saying is you you want this? We need the story from the engineer's perspective. Yes, waking absolutely. up and realizing this, and then realizing that. When he gets when he's going to dinner, um, he's the honored guest, which is how they do it with everybody. It's the weekly feast, it's the weekly feast. Only they can't eat it, everything else is leftovers, (laughs) 
Rick says you're discussing feeding a large population. What about genetic diversity of the population? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's the other issue. Regardless of whether you like the movie or not, um, Don't Look Up had the best ending ever. Where they you, you see who they actually saved to you know repopulate humanity, and it was all people in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. It's like, uh, no. <laughs> Which is half the gag, because you because to ensure the the biodiversity, you would have to insert so many genetic sequences to make up for the fact that you have a population that is that small, unless you pair them up beforehand, mm-hmm. which has its own problems from social from, from social standards social standards. We already clone meat, yes, we do, and it's extremely expensive and resource intensive. It's not an easy thing to do. Plan B from Interstellar. Haven't seen the movie. I have no idea. It's an interesting movie. I would, I'd recommend it. it it's a, it's a good. It's Matthew McConaughey, so it could be a love or hate thing, um, but it's a good thinking movie, and it's got a decent twist. But it's Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. Oh, my God. No. All right. So what else? What are we missing here? Hmm. What are other problems we have to solve? Coffee. Coffee. Are you you bringing coffee on these these ships? Sadly, coffee will be extinct by this point, more than likely. Why Why do we even need to live then? I've been. I was wondering about that this morning as I was making my coffee. You know, it's quite possible that within my lifetime, this is going to stop being a thing. It's quite possible. See, Rick here's got uh, his comment here: transporting a large number of frozen embryos to be thawed and gestated at the other end. I thought about writing a um, story about a colonization effort where that's exactly what it is: the uh, robotic spaceship. With the uh, semi-intelligent, sort of intelligent AIs that is that are running it is sent to another system with everything to build the human beings, but then they're responsible for gestating and raising toddlers and the chaos that they cannot possibly begin to expect or understand and how things change. The, the type of growth that gives them. It's too bad Raised by Wolves didn't go further than it did them in two seasons. Of course, I haven't seen the second season, but from the first season, because they set that up. You know, what happens to children who are raised by robots, essentially? No matter how smart they are, how, how, uh, how, how smart these androids are, and what their intentions, no matter their intentions, what happens? Yeah, you know, just how, empathy. Who, who's, who's modeling... Empathy. Who's? Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff, and and you don't. My guess is you probably don't have the the disregard, like that you'd almost consider technology on a human level with interactions, Um, like. If I'm talking to the, the, the creature that lives in the speaker in my kitchen, um, 
I generally will add a please at the end of it just because I can't help myself. And I are you think, afraid are you that the day it becomes sentient is going to be, how about a please? How about a please? No, it's because I think if I'm asking for something, I'm going to be polite. I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of like who I am, but you've got, you know, teenagers and younger, they don't think to do that when they're, you know, asking, you know, hey, Google, do this or hey, Siri, do that. It doesn't. There, there's a. I don't want to say a lack of decorum, but there's like there's a hierarchy of manners. And I wonder if a kid is raised by robots, if that's if that level of like respect would be there or if it would be totally disregarded because the, maybe whoever's programming the robot um, hasn't put that in there because it's a servant. And therefore. And then one day they revolt. I'm seeing in chat talking about uh, um, similar from uh, Hugh Howie was called uh, Halfway hmm. Home. And Antoine brought up Detroit Become Human, which is a very interesting video game. You just go out, go watch somebody do a playthrough of it to see what I'm talking about. But it brings up that question, what happens when the androids get sentient? And it it's it asks that question from both the human aspect and from the android aspect. And it's just fascinating. And then the other movie that I'm seeing here is I Am Mother. I watched that. I liked it. I thought it was a pretty good movie. Because it really brings that into focus and it asks a whole bunch of other questions the way that that movie ends. So I thought that was a, a good a good piece for that. There's also Rubicon, which is out there, but also has uh, it doesn't have androids or robots in it, but it also brings up a lot of those questions about, uh, you know, who deserves to survive and what to do with a small population on a space station or something like that if something happened on Earth. So it's a rather interesting watch as well. And the other one I was thinking of when you said androids that go crazy, Megan, which was out last year, horror movie about a, a android that goes completely shitbag bonkers, becomes, you know, a serial killer. It's absolutely crazy, campy. It's fun. Really, really fun. Be shaking her head. Because I, I saw the promise for that. I'm thinking, man, little wonder. Just mm. you remember that? <laughs> that it was like that 80s sitcom with the yes, no. It, no. it was probably only run for like a, a season or two, but it was this kid who was a robot and who was in a household with others and just the wacky shenanigans they got up to. And I'm thinking, yep, this is what happens when you are when. You are not nice to your your robot hirelings. So, Rick said there is a historical analog with the ships going to the New World that ran out of food. If you have Shutter or a BBC, you need to watch The Terror, which is basically like eight to ten episode series, which is about the Terror and the Erebus, which were the two ships that went to go find the Northwest Passage that were never seen again. And it is fascinating. It's a great, great. Both ships have been found, by the way, um, just in the past decade. Um, so that that's, yeah, there's a lot of primary source material on how cannibalism was handled. Yes, there is. We'll just leave it at that. But those are the guys that went to, to go for the, find the Northwest Passage. Bad things happened. 
we well, they had presume. An, they had an aircraft uh, crash, I think, in the Andes Mountains, and uh, the people oh, yeah, were trapped alive. up there alive for, I think it was a period of weeks, and they had no choice but to, to eat their dead to survive. Yeah, that movie is called, I think, Just Alive, and uh, that was a soccer team, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and then if the other stuff that explores that, um, Yellow Jackets, mm. the Showtime bit, which is just excellent, excellent acting. I love um, how we've gone from nanites to cannibalism over the, the length of 60 minutes. That is something else. Well, it, it's survivability. <laughs> it, it's, you know, when, when you don't, when you're traveling into the unknown or you suddenly get thrust into the unknown, how do you survive? And if you don't have technology there, then, you know, you, you have to you go old school. the bonds of friendship. Yeah, well... It goes you can't same. print meat? Well. I was going to ignore that one. I really was. But you had to go there. So now I have to say, if you have a question or comment about this episode, I am not going to say nanites and cannibalism go together like peanut butter and jelly. That is ridiculous. If you have a comment or a question that ignores Tim Niederreiter's question, you can send an email to show at DebRobotSociety.com. You can find me on Mastodon at Paul underscore E underscore Cooley at V-Y-R-S-E dot social. You can find us on Facebook at the DebRobot Society Writing Community. Where Terry, V, and I all mangle the madness. And you can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash DRS podcast to enjoy the wonders of being in our chat. It's more like it's more like an insane asylum. And uh, it, we do this show every Saturday at 3 p.m. CST, barring natural disasters and other things that go on. And uh, like and subscribe to be notified whenever we go live. And if you want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash DRS podcast and buymeacoffee.com slash DRS podcast. Where for as little as $1 a month, you get access to exclusive live shows like when we're doing DRS After Dark in just eight minutes. And I understand Terry's wearing assless chaps. Oh, my God. That echoed. Okay, so with that, we're going to get out of here. <laughs> Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you again next time. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>